this is your third book, is that correct? Yeah, uh, and it's been, the last one actually came out in 2005, so it's been a little while. So tell me when and where did you write it? The writing actually took place through 2012, but it's it's coming out right now. But I wrote it while here at, at UA. Is it available now, and how can people get it? It should be on bookstore shelves soon, but it is shipping from Amazon now. I've had some friends already get it. I think the release date on Amazon will say December 3rd if you want to be safe, but I know people are getting it now. Okay, so you said you wrote it while you were at UA here in Tuscaloosa. So you live in the heart of college football country. So (laughs) I'm just curious, you know, how does your environment when you're writing, how does that affect your writing specifically when you're surrounded by people who tend to only care about basketball under very specific circumstances? Well, though I've lived in Alabama for 12 years now, I'm still very much a product of Indiana, too. And so the places where I live in Indiana, you know, Bloomington and Indianapolis, it becomes the inverse of Tuscaloosa in terms of how it pays attention to sports. I mean, yeah, people love the Colts. They get to the northern part of the state. They, you know, they love Notre Dame, but it's basketball first and foremost and always, just like it is football here. So, you know, having lived there for, you know, the majority of my life, that doesn't disappear when I come here. It's not hard for me to tap into that kind of basketball mentality just based on how long I lived in Indiana. Well, I'm curious, what was your personal basketball experience growing up? Did you you play or was, was basketball a huge deal at DePaul University or Greencastle High School? Well, I played and played poorly. Uh... I played up until uh, and kind of into my senior year of high school, and it became pretty evident by that time that I, I was still going to be, you know, pretty much uh, relegated to the bench. So I decided for my senior year to play uh, intramurals instead. Now, my dad was a basketball coach. Started out a high school coach in Pennsylvania, and then we moved to Bloomington, where he was an assistant for Bob Knight for five years. And so then from there, he was a head coach at DePauw and the University of Indianapolis and Indiana State. So it was more through that son of a coach always being around teams and around players that my life was pretty well steeped in basketball, even if my playing career didn't amount to much of a career at all. What was the Waltman household like when you were growing up? You said, so your dad must have been pretty basketball-obsessed. Yeah, you know, and I, no, I was lucky in that I had, a, you know, a coach father who was a father, first and foremost. And so I'd always go to his games, we'd watch games together, we'd go to other games together. But there was never a sense for me as like, hey, I'm somehow failing if I'm not a good basketball player. Yeah, so that was great. That you know, a lot of coaches' sons are kind of forced into that playing, and that that becomes the the crux of the whole father-son relationship. Now that is the way for us. But as far as what we're going to put on the TV at night, what we're going to do on the weekend, you know, there was always a game throughout the season, whether it was my going to my dad's game or watching a game or watching, you know, 10 games. That was always going on. I thought it was interesting that the book starts pretty much in the middle of a pickup game that Derek is playing. Why would you begin the book in the middle of a pickup game? Well, I think it gave a chance to show him as this rising star in a way that, like, the first practice wouldn't have. Because part part of the, you know, part of the tension of the book is him, you know, translating that potential to something for the school. So, you know, I think it's a chance to show him this kind of this neighborhood star first. And I think for kids, not just in that kind of location, I think this is true for young players in a lot of places, 
that kind of reputation and that sense of potential is first noticed just, you know, playing with guys from the area. So I, I thought that was maybe a fitting way to start. And then I think also one of the tensions throughout this first book is how are his allegiances to that area going to be tested? So to start him as like a, a product of this particular neighborhood, this particular region of Indianapolis, I, I think was was important. And it also is a chance to, you know, just show him in his prowess at a real young age. Where you grew up, is that close to Indianapolis? Where I grew up, like as far as where I went to high school, it's about an hour away and is about in terms of like demographics about as different as you could be from that neighborhood. But I also lived, once I graduated from college, I lived in Indianapolis for five years, lived and worked there. It's not like growing up there, but you come to know that region pretty well. And also, you know, I, I worked in politics there, which is awfully different than like working in basketball, but it, that politics lets you, you know, makes you know the city really thoroughly. So so yeah, I didn't grow up there, but lived there for five years. You know, pretty good sense of Indiana and Indianapolis high school hoops. You know, I would imagine that there are thousands of different basketball storylines when it comes to young men mm-hmm. in Indiana. There are several different angles that uh-huh. you can take. Why was it important to you to tell the story of a phenom at this age? And why was it important to find the voice of a young African-American child living in inner city Indianapolis? Well, I think... As far as his age, I mean, for me, it just felt like kind of a poignant moment of, you know, I talked earlier about a reputation being built kind of growing up. And, and certainly, you know, there's organized hoops before guys get to high school. But that's the first real, like, hey, this stuff kind of counts. Scouts are paying attention. It's going to be in the newspapers, all that stuff. So I think that transition from, like, hey, people in the neighborhood, people in the know saying, hey, this kid's going to be good, and, but to, you know, that moment of translating that potential to what actually happens in the high school uniform with the lights on. But then his particular background in that neighborhood, given this Indiana basketball book, there's so much out there of, well, first off, the movie Hoosiers and all kinds of variations of it, where it's the small town kid, that kind of story, like the small town underdog. Not to take anything away from the, the Hoosiers. I mean, Hoosiers was my favorite movie when I was a kid. And those stories are great, but I think it's been so done. And I think the story, and frankly, as far as the types of players that are going on to college and achieving there and going on to the NBA, even in Indiana, it's more commonly going to be kids coming up in these kinds of neighborhoods. Now, just as the book deals with, they might not stay at that high school, but that kind of background can be far more common. And I also tried to set it up where it's not... You know, moving away from the stereotype of, like, the, you know, the corn-fed country shooting guard. Mm-hmm. And also seeing places as a stereotype of where it's like, he's in the city, and he's in what you, you know, you could accurately call the inner city, but he's not from this kind of chaotic background. I mean, he's got this solid home life. The school itself, while, you know, it's not the greatest school in the state, there's a sense of structure and discipline and education there. And I tried to let that come through, too. What I think is interesting is that Derek has trouble with his coach's style and in the structure that he brings and in the the sense of discipline because you know he says he he, he kind of feels a little reined in he kind of feels like he's sort of on a leash with that offense is that something that you feel like in Indiana and in basketball in general you see with young people not really understanding these not only authority figures but this style of play that they have to stick to in order to be successful at the high school level yes 
And I think that's particularly true where you have a high school coach who's still really, well, really actively coaching and trying to give a sense of structure. That's not, you know, the coach and this, the, the, you know, Coach Bolden is, it's, not all coaches are like him. You know, there's plenty of high school coaches that know, hey, if I kind of let the kids do what they want a little bit, you know, it'll be easier going on me and maybe I'll get a coaching job when one of them leaps to college somewhere, that kind of stuff. But this is a coach where, you know, he's set up as like a guy who he's more long-term oriented, both for the kids and then for the team as a whole. So I think he kind of knows like, oh, yeah, we could get some easy buckets here and there if I just let Derek run. But it's not going to make him better, and it's not going to make us better when we face good teams down the road. And, yeah, then I think that becomes a challenge for anyone, especially at that talent level, where it's not just playing on the playground, but in middle school or anything, where he's he's just going to be so much better than 99% of the kids he faces that making that leap to a place where you're still going to be better than a lot of guys, but not everyone. And so how do you now address that where it's not just your talent is just going to so easily win out? And the answer is always going to be like, hey, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to learn to work. You've got to learn to fit with the team a little bit more. And that's a tough lesson, certainly for guys coming into high school. And you, and you see it when guys make that jump to college, too, and then beyond. It was like we're at talent level where you're not going to so easily overwhelm guys with the talent level. How then do you work and still maintain some kind of edge? And that, that's a tough lesson for kids making that kind of leap. Yeah, and when you're in high school, you have you know more limited options in terms of where you can play. I mean, you have to wait four years before you can either play college or before you can play pro ball somewhere else other than the NBA. Right. And even then, you have to choose where you're going to college for at least a year unless you go overseas sees but you're seeing right. more and more now the more attention that these phenoms get like in Derek's case in this book he does have options of you know of places he can play even at the high school level it's becoming oh yeah uh, you know you're, you're getting more and more of a spotlight on, on kids even at the age of 15 and kind of like college you're seeing them choose which high school that they're going to play for the next four years yeah, absolutely. And so clearly, you know, I've played with that here. And, and I'm trying to set it up, too, of like this isn't it's not an easy decision either way. You know, in the book, it's, a, it's another fictionalized school, but Hamilton Academy in the book. It's not like what they're offering him is necessarily bad. I mean, it's a, it is a better school. He'll play with better players. So that's a very enticing thing that, you know, I try in the book not to make this some kind of clear-cut judgment. I think it's totally understandable why kids would jump to that kind of setting. There's a moment towards the beginning of the book that stuck out to me, and it's when Derek sees Roy Hibbert in the shopping mall. And yeah. the the way that the whole place freezes that that happens with student athletes in Tuscaloosa more or less or at least <laughs> or at least you know on the Alabama campus but I would imagine that there's a different energy when it comes to basketball players at that level in Indiana is that right Yeah I mean there's something like like you said that happens here but there's in a way because it's you know you're on a college campus and that shrinks things down it's even though there's still kind of the stargazing element if they if someone sees a you know one of the star players or something like that just more common you know in the city it's like it's so big and and the encounters are so chance that it, it really is more striking and when guys achieve that kind of level as a professional athlete they for a variety of reasons most of them are, you know totally reasonable are going to be far more isolated from being out just kind of in a general public say at a mall but it does happen you know and i remember like i'm i'm actually taking that from when I lived in Indianapolis, I don't know if you remember the player Dale Davis. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, no, but I, I do. Mean, I remember seeing him go through Circle Center. It was just like, it was just as I described, like, everyone stops. And it's like, hey, 
you know, we know Dale Davis lives in the city. Like, you know, there he is playing every night for the Pacers. But to see him in person and then, to, of course, to see his size, of like, you know he's big. But when you see him among, like, regular average-sized people, he's larger than life. And so that's what I tried to capture with, like, Dean Hebert. And then especially this kid who's, like, that's what he aspires to is that the NBA life and the NBA level of play that Hibbert has clearly achieved. Well, the gameplay descriptions in the book are very precise, very accurate. They really put you right there during the games. I'm curious, was sports writing ever an option for you growing up? I mean, if you weren't going to play basketball, but you had such an affinity for it, did you ever want to be that much closer to sports where you were covering it as a journalist? A little bit when I was young. And then when I got into college, uh, you know, got hooked on some creative writing courses. And so for me, writing fiction has just always, has been, at least for me, has always made more sense as a way to, to get across the things I want to get across. So it was something that when I was maybe in high school, I had certainly thought about. But then once I got into college, fiction is what worked for me. So that's kind of where I went from there. Well, the Pacers are title contenders again. I know. So, I mean, it's it's getting serious now. I mean, the starting five are doing special interviews on Sports Center now. I just saw last night and people seem to think that if there's a team that can take down Miami and become the new champion this year, yeah. it's the Indiana Pacers. Is that kind of surreal for you right now or is it cyclical in the fact that you think the Pacers are going to emerge every so often? Well, it's exciting to be excited about them again. You know, when I was living in Indianapolis, it was the Reggie Miller era, and, and that was fantastic. It was so fun to live in a city with that kind of buzz come, you know, playoff time especially, and I remember going to playoff games. And so, yeah, it's great to see them, and I and I don't think that, you know, I think uh, the NBA, like, uh, like a lot of professional sports, it tries to almost make the rules so there is this sense of a cyclical nature but in the nba it's so star driven and unless you've got that franchise player which you're not guaranteed even if you you know even in that cyclical like guys you know teams get to the top of the to the draft and get those lottery picks i mean that's a little more of a crapshoot than it used to be so yeah i don't think nba fans feel like hey this is just going to come around just kind of by the law of averages so so exciting to see them that way and exciting to see them being able to challenge the heat and in a way, it's been a challenge in terms of writing and revising the book. Because obviously, you know, I can't anticipate how the NBA season is going to play out as the book's released. So I'm kind of writing it as like, well, the best I can gauge is what happened last year. So I think there's lines in there like Derek at one point thinks like, oh, the Pacers are always going to be a step behind the Heat, and you know, I'd be really happy if that if that line in particular turned out to be wrong. <laughs> Well, and yeah, it's interesting because the Pacers are a team that are a contender specifically that has been built a little differently than these other teams. They have a lot of really good players and some sort of yeah. broaching greatness, but they don't have that one guy, even though you've got a guy like Paul George who seems like he's ready to yeah. emerge as a franchise player yeah. and Roy Hibbert to some extent. But it seems like that yeah. kind of team who is built with several different good parts instead of one great part and a larger supporting cast, it seems like that kind of team would excite Indiana, a place that's built on basketball and built on teamwork. Do you think that's right? Yeah, I think so. Obviously I don't live there now, but I I get my parents are still there, so I get back during the holidays and a few times a year and and stay in touch with friends. And I think there is that sense that like the city really appreciates this team because of the way it's built, and and especially Hibbert. I mean, Hibbert is, I think, clearly a star, but like you said, is is dissimilar to other stars. Whereas he can score, but that's that's not his primary purpose on the floor. I think you know Indiana basketball fans really appreciate and love that. And you know, they're also a team that 
insomuch as they a couple years ago, if you're looking at that roster, you'd you'd appoint it to Granger as the guy who's gonna be that star of the franchise name and because of injuries, that clearly hasn't been the case. You've had to have other guys step up and become those stars. So this is your third book that has been published. Yeah. I'm sure times have changed since you were first published in terms of that industry. Mm-hmm. What is it taking mm-hmm. now from the writer to get a book like this or any book published? Well, there's a lot of perseverance, but there's also a lot of luck, and anyone who's honest will will tell you that. Um you know, I won't walk you through the, the whole saga of this coming to fruition, but it was a project that started, uh, I think, in 2011, maybe a little, maybe the end of 2010. And at one point, it kind of died, and then by serendipity, you know, got on the desk of, of some people at Sanko Punkas Press who ultimately picked it up, and they, they wound up contacting me after I had kind of thought the project was never going to materialize. So they, But they got a look at it and contacted me, and we went from there. But, yeah, the, the process of, you know, you kind of write in isolation, and you almost try to block out, like, where does this go? Where does this get published? Because that's so far down the road. But then you, you get to a point where it's time to send it out, and, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a, a sense of a lottery there, too. I mean, you just send and send and send, and there were lots and lots of places that, that said no to this. So it's just a matter of searching and searching until, you know, you find a press that kind of sees what you hope they see it. And here, you know, it wound up being the Santa Puntas Press, really, and, and they do a good job with, with sports books, and they do a good job with young adult novels. So I think they saw this and decided, you know, hey, this is a fit for us. So obviously that's that's been great for me. But there's, there's a lot of luck involved in that. And then seeing the manuscript and seeing it at just the right time and saying yes. And this is the first in a four-part series, correct? Yeah, that's the plan. One for each of his years in high school. Okay, and without giving anything away in terms of what happens in this first book, where do you go from here? Have you already started writing the second book? Yeah, the second manuscript, I mean, it's a long time between manuscripts and when it actually, you know, hits shelves. Yeah, the second manuscript I'm trying to get done by the end of the year. So hopefully sophomore year will come out this time next year and then junior this time in 2016 and so forth. All right, well, good luck with the release. And Kevin Waltman, thank you so much for your time. All right, thank you. Thank you.